What's up, church? How you guys doing this morning? All right, good. Time change morning. You guys sound chipper. All right. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, as uh, I'm, I'm just just want to say I'm glad to be back. Uh, as most of you guys know that um, that I, we were on a two-week trip in Thailand visiting our two orphanages that our church completely, fully supports um, on our own. And uh, it, was just a, it was just a great trip. It's interesting because, you know, every time you go back, these kids are like, they look different. They grow, all right? They're, they're, they're older. And uh, now we got kids graduating college, and it's just, it's just kind of crazy. I remember that, that them when they're like this big. Um, but it uh, makes me feel old. I don't like feeling that way, but uh, it is what it is. I um, wanted to let you guys know that, uh, as I mentioned kind of last week and the week before, so two weeks ago, uh, we did a dollar club for these uh, Burmese refugees, basically the whole country of Burma or Myanmar. Uh, they're in a big civil war, and it's, it's just a mess up there. And, um, and we were able, we have a contact there, we were able to send food in to um, the, a bunch of tribes and a bunch of families that live in the northern part of Burma that have been burned out of their villages. And we got, I mean, we even have videos and stuff that we cannot show here because they're super graphic of, um, of you know, the villages after uh, bombs have struck and stuff like that. And uh, these people are living in the jungle. They don't have any, like, shelter. People are living in caves. Um, it's, just, it's just a mess there. And so we were able to send them um, food. And we, um, let's say two weeks ago, we, you guys as a church, raised over $17,000 uh, to help them, um, woohoo! Yeah, <laughs> um, that was for that's between Tiffin and our Fremont campus, and uh, we were able to literally within hours of receiving that, we we're able to go and uh, and take care of some of those needs. That's one thing that I love about our church is we're not part of any necessarily denomination, which isn't necessarily bad. Uh, but for us, we don't have to go through some hierarchy. There's we're not giving it to some organization who's giving it to another organization who everybody's just kind of, you know, pulling a little bit off the top. We could take the literal money and go take the go take it to these people and go buy the food and go buy, take care of this stuff. Like, you know, 100% of the money goes to that. And so I just want to say thank you guys for your generosity um, for doing that. Uh, we were able to do that. We actually, did, we got pictures of the bags of rice. Um, we always ask for a picture. Hey, we want to see, make sure this happens. So these are the bags of rice. Um, it's interesting. Each bag is like 50 kilograms. Actually, I was just backstage texting the, our contact, I'm like, how, how big are those bags? What's going on? That's like, if my calculations are correct, that's like over 110 pounds per bag of rice, right? Those are some big old bags. Um, so that, those bags will feed a family of four for like six weeks. And so uh, for us as a church, we want to remember that, uh, number one, we want to help people's physical needs, uh, but this is only temporary, okay? Everything that we do as a church needs to be connected with Jesus because that's something that's going to last not just a lifetime, but for eternity. And so these people, whoever these people are, we don't know them. Uh, we don't know their names. We've never met them before. We've never talked to them. They're in a country that we can't even access. Um, these people, all they know is that there's a church uh, somewhere in the United States that cares about them, that loves them, and that wants to help them out in this way. And um, they will hear the message of Jesus through this. So that's why we do what we do. And uh, again, I want to thank you for being able uh, to do that. It's just one way for us to show our love to people, not just here in Seneca County, but also around the world. And actually, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Pastor AJ and Pastor Mike, have uh, they kind of left off 
uh, over the last few weeks where Jesus has made his way back to Jerusalem as we're in our series in, in the book of John. And uh, we're getting towards the end. Jesus has made his way back to Jerusalem. He's there for the last time. The disciples, they have no clue what's going on. And uh, times are dangerous for him. There's a, bunch of, um, there's a bunch of powerful people that want Jesus dead. In fact, in John 11, John tells us, do we got it? Oh, it's not on. What's going on? I don't know. Okay. John 11, here we go, uh, says, John tells us that the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they could arrest him. And so Jesus, he is easy to find because he's out in public. He's not hiding or anything like that. And he's always teaching, but he is very difficult to arrest because wherever Jesus goes, a big crowd would follow because everybody wants to see this Jesus guy. Everybody wants to hear the things that Jesus has to say, and everybody wants to see the things that Jesus is doing because Jesus is saying things that no one has ever heard before. Jesus is doing things no one has ever seen before. In fact, in John 12, uh, he says, the large crowd that had come to the festival. Now, we know what festival this is. Do you guys remember from last week? All right. Passover. Okay, Palm Sunday, yes, that's, that's what we call it now. Um, but, uh, but Passover, this is where um, over a million people from around the world would descend upon Jerusalem for this week-long festival. And so this large crowd, I mean, this is like a very, very large crowd, right? Okay, all right, the chipperness is gone. Okay, we talk about orphans, we talk about, okay, it's just like we lose it all. Okay, it says the large crowd, huge crowd that had come to the festival, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And when they hear this, the excitement is building. And uh, and AJ talked about last week, the crowd, when Jesus enters in Jerusalem, they celebrate. They're pumped. They want to see Jesus. They can't wait to hear what Jesus is going to say. And they believed that Jesus was in Jerusalem to do something political. That Jesus was in Jerusalem to to lead a revolt against Rome and to free Israel from this oppressive Roman government who was not kind to them and to set himself up as king. They believed that Jesus was in Jerusalem to do something for the entire nation. But actually... Jesus was there in Jerusalem to do something for you. The disciples don't have a clue. No one understood what was about to happen, including his disciples. Even though, it's interesting, as you read through the book of John and through the other, um, through the other accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Jesus is constantly saying, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. Hey, I'm going to have to die. Hey, they're going to kill me. Hey, they're going to take me out. Hey, this is what's going to happen. Hey, this is, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die constantly. And they still don't get it. In fact, when they get to Jerusalem and, and there's this huge crowd of like a million people that are ready to crown Jesus as king, um, and Jesus is teaching and things seem to be going really good. And yeah, the religious, aren't, religious leaders are mad, but they can't touch Jesus with this crowd around him that thinks that he is actually the Messiah, that think that he's going to be the future king. And so Jesus, he stays all week, and he stays all week teaching. And uh, it's interesting because when the boys show up in the upper room on Thursday night, they think everything is going pretty good. They don't have no idea what's about to happen. I mean, they're like, man, look at this. All right, Jesus, he's doing his thing. He's teaching. We got like a million people here that are ready to crown him as king. Things are going pretty good. He's healing people. He's got followers. He's got this big crowd. I mean, Jesus said some things that pushed some people away, and we've talked about some of those. And the disciples, they know that, and they're like, yeah. You know, some of the things that Jesus says is kind of hard to understand, but, uh, but look at all these miracles that he's doing. 
Okay, you can't argue with that. Like he just, just like a week before, he just brought a dead man back to life, okay? Like, uh, and everybody, you know, and he's, he's around too probably. And it's just like things are going great in their minds. And they have no idea what's about to happen in chapter 13. So chapter 13, verse 1. John's one of these guys, right? He's one of the guys that's writing this. He's one of the guys that's, that's with the disciples. And he says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. All right, now think about it. Uh, throughout John, what we see is that Jesus, um, he's constantly saying, my hour has not come. My time's not yet come. Yet my hour's not come. Not yet. I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I'm not gonna go do that yet. But now for the first time in the whole book, it shifts, okay? Jesus says, or John tells us that, no, 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 no. Now, Jesus Understood. Jesus knew, he always understood, he knew that his hour had come. Now his hour had come to depart from this world, to die, to go to the Father. All right, it's time. I mean, think about this. Um, what if you knew that at the end of this week, you were going to die? Would that change how you live your last week? Would that change how you live your week? We're not sure. <laughs> it's too early. <laughs> You know, would you go into work tomorrow morning? Probably not. <laughs> I would call in and be like, hey, I'm taking this week on vacation. You know what I mean? Or just quit because you've been wanting to quit for a long time. You're like, I'm sticking it to the man. Okay, so you can do that too, whatever you want to do. Um, you know, like, like, would you go do stuff? Would you be like, okay, I'm finally going skydiving. It'd be cold out to go skydiving. Or maybe like, hey, I'm going to take a couple, a couple days with my family. We're going to go to the beach. Like, what if you knew that this was the last week, that you were going to die at the end of the week, would you start knocking, th you know, checking things off your bucket list? How many of you guys have a bucket list? Anybody? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I got a bucket list. I feel like I'm a decently normal guy, okay? My bucket list is probably similar to a lot of your bucket list, okay? One of my things is I want to ride um, Route 66 from Chicago all the way to LA on a, uh, on a motorcycle. Who wouldn't want to do that, like the whole way, right? That's sweet, right? Yeah, that's sweet. Come on, man. You're killing me. You guys need to go to Fight Club tonight. This is embarrassing. All right? I like to ride a hot air balloon. Okay? Who wouldn't want to do that? I like to fight a bear. Okay? Not a big grizzly bear, but just a little black bear, just so I could say I fought a bear. Um, give me a knife. I think I can, I think I can hold my own with one. Um, I'd like to get a handicap sign. Okay? Some of you guys have achieved that. I'm jealous of you. I think that'd be nice. Park right out front, wherever I want to go. Um, I'd like to go dog sledding. Who wouldn't want to go dog sledding? Okay? Just once. Um, I'd like to cross the Darien Gap. If you never don't know what that is, you can Google that later. I'd like to experience an airplane water landing, okay? These are actually real things on my list that I want to do. Some of these I don't have control of. I had the opportunity, possibly, to have an airplane water landing experience while we flew over the Pacific last week. It just didn't, unfortunately, happen. <laughs> I'd like to go to Puxatawney, Pennsylvania to experience the real, true Groundhog Day. Okay, who wouldn't want to do that? It's only a few hours away. I plan on getting that done soon. Um, I'd also like to get shot once, okay? <laughs> Not like through the body, but like a little nick on my arm, just so I can say, like think about the conversation starter. <laughs> yeah, that kind of reminds me of the time I got shot. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd like to be able to say that. I'd appreciate that. And so um, that's my plan. If somehow I can make that happen, I can't do that self-inflicted because that's lame. Um, so... <laughs> But, um, but, you know, if I could just, just get it brushed by my arm or something. Anyway, why am I talking? I need to shut up about that. 
here are some things I'd like to do before I die, right? Like, this is what we think. We think about all these things. It's like, okay, this is my bucket list. This is what I would like to accomplish. And John tells us that Jesus, right, he's not trying to check things off his bucket list. He's not going, man, it would be really cool if I could accomplish this so I could say this. No, he did not think about himself at all. He didn't think about all the things that he could do. He didn't think of the time that he had left and, okay, I need to fit this in, I need to fit that in. No, he was thinking about us and how he could serve us. In fact, he even says, look, he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them how long? To the end. That's how he spent his time, loving them to the end. Now, how did he love them? Was it through more teaching this last week, which he does, or, or maybe miracles, or maybe he's like handing out spiritual gifts, like, okay, now you can walk on water, and you can walk on water, and you can walk on water. Okay, go. You know, he doesn't, it's not how he does it. No, he loved them, we're going to find out, by serving him. This is how John explains, this is what he says he does, okay, in the next verse. He says, now, when it was time for supper. Now, there's a couple things you got to understand before we dive into what John's about to tell us. Um, when you are eating at somebody's house, back then, it was customary that you would wash your hands, which a lot of you guys are like, amen. Hand, some of you guys are just hand-washing people. You wash your hands every five minutes, and your hands are all dry because of that, okay? Um, but, uh, but for, you know, I don't wash my hands that much, so some of you guys won't shake my hand now, but that's okay. <laughs> okay? I try to remember, but I usually don't. Um, anyway... <laughs> But uh, some of you guys are all into washing hands things, and so that's you. So you're going, okay, that makes total sense. But not only was it customary to wash your hands when you walk, went into somebody's house to eat food or to have a meal, but you would also wash your feet, okay, which was a different thing that we don't think about these days. Um, and the person that would wash the feet would be the lowest person in the room. So ideally, when you go into someone's house, it would be a servant who would come out and would wash each person's feet. Now, you know why they did this? Because feet were nasty, okay? Feet are nasty, all right? I'm not a big fan of feet. I don't really like feet. I know some people are really into feet. I don't understand that at all. All right, that's super weird and gross to me. But uh, for me, like, feet, it's not an attractive part of the body. Like, it just, it just isn't. It never has been. It never will. It's interesting because I just came back from Thailand, and there's feet everywhere, okay? <laughs> like, it just... People wear, you know, people don't wear shoes there. There's always sandals or barefoot. And um, even in buildings, like even in some public buildings we go in, you weren't allowed to wear shoes. You had to take off your shoes at the door, and then you're in there with everybody's feet. And it's just how, you know, I just, it's just not my thing. Sometimes we'd even be sitting on the ground and, um, and eating, okay, having like a meal. And people are like bringing food and passing out food, which I'm very thankful for. And, you know, I'm not trying to knock that by any means. But they're like stepping over my food with their, with their dirty feet. I'm like, like, I'm just saying, I'm just trying to be real. Like the inside of me is just like, back off my food, man. <laughs> all right, keep your feet away from my rice, all right. Um, but I didn't say that. I just, you know, grimaced and, and waited for them to not do that anymore, everybody to sit down. Um, but back then, it's kind of the same thing, kind of the same scenario. Um, back then, the streets, like where the disciples were walking all day and all week, all right, were dirty, all right? They're nasty. They're, it's, it's dusty. Not only that, but like, it's not like they had a sewer system. Everything, I mean, there's a million people, extra people, let's say, in Jerusalem at this time, okay? Everything just kind of drains into the streets. 
It's not a clean, clean place. You also got animals in the streets. You throw your trash in the streets. I mean, it's bad. And on top of that, when you eat dinner, ironically, you would eat it. Back then, they would eat at these, like, short little tables with, like, pillows and cushions all around. And what you'd do is you just kind of lounge around. Let me do that. Oh, whoa, almost wiped out. You kind of lounge around at the table while you're eating, and your feet are all up in the food, okay? Like, feet's everywhere here. They're all, it's all over. And so you got to clean your feet. And so that night, the disciples, they show up, okay? And everybody's waiting, and everybody's thinking the same thing, I'm sure, because this was like, what you do? Where's the servant? Who's coming to wash my feet? Aren't we eating here tonight? All right, we, we, need, to, we need to wash up. Like, that's, what, what's going on here? Where's the water? And actually, there was water there. Just nobody stepped up to do it. It's kind of like when you have your kid, like, like it's kind of like when you have a kid at first, like a newborn, you know, you're laying there in the middle of the night, you got your husband or wife next to you or whatever, and, and what do you hear? You know, something like that. And what do you do? You fake sleep, you know what I'm talking about? You don't move. Maybe you kind of twitch to wake the other person up, like maybe they'll get up and do it, you know what I'm talking about? Like for me, first of all, if you're a parent, you've done that before, Hunt hands down, and uh, I think parents of newborn kids are the best fake sleepers there are out there, okay? I'm an expert fake sleeper. You know, I'd just be like, you know, Kate would say, are you going to do it? And I'd be like, uh, uh, you know, go back to sleep. Fake sleep, all right? Nobody wants to get up. Because why? Because it's inconvenient. No one wants to do that, especially when you just woke up in the middle of the night. It's just like that. Nobody wants to get up and wash people's feet. All right, nobody wants to do that. It's inconvenient. Not only is it inconvenient, but it's kind of, in a sense, humiliating. Right? John goes on. He says, so, Jesus, check this out. He got up from supper. He laid aside his outer clothing, and he took a towel, and he tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. All right, they're dirty, nasty, all right, sewer, you know, dirt, you know, all over the place, feet. And then he, tried, then he dried them with his towel that he had tied around him. And so Jesus, he gets up. Now, now this would have been super awkward. I think sometimes maybe we think, we hear this story, and we're Christians, we've heard this story before, where we're like, you know, disciples, maybe they're thinking like, okay, about time somebody washes my feet. You know what I mean? Like, let's go. No, 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 not at all. All right, this is super embarrassing for them. This is super Awkward. They're not ready for this. Again, uh, the washing of feet, this was for the lowest rank in the room. That's the person who should be washing the feet. Here is the Messiah. Here is the Savior of the world. Here is their leader. Here is the God of the universe who created everything with just a word on his knees. Washing their dirty, nasty feet. Doing the dirty job that nobody else wanted to do. It's embarrassing for the disciples. It's uncomfortable for them. It's against all cultural norms. And so Jesus, he goes from one to the other to the other to the other until, John tells us, he came to Peter. Now, we all know Peter. Peter's like a loud mouth. He's always got to say something. He can't keep his mouth shut. And Peter's like, whoa, Jesus, <laughs> are you going to wash my feet? Are you thinking, Jesus, that you are going to be washing my feet? I don't think so. And Jesus, he, he answers him. He's like, no, 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 Peter, you don't understand. What I'm doing, you don't realize now. You don't understand why I'm doing this now. But afterward, very soon, actually just within a few hours, right, 
He says, afterward, you're going to understand a lot more about what I'm doing. He says, Peter, he, he, he pushes back, again, because that's what Peter does. He's like, no, no, Jesus, no, no, you will never wash my feet. Mm-mm, I don't think so. And Jesus replied, well, if I don't wash you, right, you have no part with me. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're going to hell. Okay, that's basically what he's saying. Is Peter, he said to him, okay, whoa, all right, don't want to go there. All right, Lord, um, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. He's like, well, just wash my whole body. Let's go. All right, and Jesus says, the one who is bathed, Jesus told him, he doesn't need to wash anything except for his feet. That's all that has gotten dirty, but he is completely clean. He says, Peter, you are clean, but not all of you are clean. In which case, everybody's, probably, everybody's listening to this conversation because they're all in the same room, and they're like, what does that mean? Like, who's not Who's not clean? Is he talking? Is he talking to higher level now? Is he talking spiritually again? Because sometimes Jesus switches it up like that. Like, is that what he's doing? And John says, Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. For he knows who would betray him. This is why he said, Not all of you are clean. He says, When Jesus had washed their feet and he put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and he said to him, He says, Do you know what I've done for you? His teaching moment. He's like, Do you guys understand what I've done? And they're all like. Not really. We don't get why this, why you're doing this. And Jesus says, "You call me teacher, and you call me Lord. Like I'm, like I'm God, and and you're speaking rightly, since that is what I am. I am God, and I am your teacher, and I am your leader. And so think about it, guys. If I, your Lord and teacher, if I, the highest rank in the room, have washed your dirty, nasty feet, you also ought to wash." one another's feet, meaning it should not be difficult for you to wash each other's feet. I washed your feet, all right? I'm the highest rank, and I did it. It should be easy for you guys, all low-rank guys, to be able to do that for each other. He says, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. He goes on in a few more, a few verses later. It says, John tells us that when Jesus has said this, he was troubled in his spirit. Okay, like think about that just just for a second. The God of the universe, troubled in his spirit. Something's bothering him. Something's not sitting right with him. He's mourning. He's sad, all right? He's troubled in his spirit, and he he just kind of shouts out. He says, truly, I tell you, like it's almost like he couldn't hold it anymore. He's like, I tell you that one of you guys are going to betray me. And the disciples, <laughs> these guys are all like in their 20s. You know, they're all kind of looking at each other like, like what? They're uncertain which one uh, he was speaking about. Of course, they're like, who, who, who are you talking about, Jesus? Right, who, who is it? And then um, one of his disciples, the one that Jesus loved, okay, we know this is John. John refers to himself as the one who Jesus loves in his account, which is interesting. Um, he was reclining uh, close beside Jesus. And Peter, he motioned to him to find out who it was that he was talking about. So can you picture this? So Peter's like across the table. They all, Peter and Jesus just had this kind of weird interaction thing where uh, Peter's like, no. And then Jesus is like, I'm doing it. And Peter's like, okay, do the whole thing, you know, what I'm talking about. And then um, Jesus, like, he can't hold it in. He's saying, hey, when are you guys going to betray me? Like, I'm super sad about it. Like, this is, this is really bothering me. And then and everybody's like, well, who is it, me? Is it me? I don't think I would ever do that. I would never do that, Jesus. And then Peter, he motions over to John, who's right next to Jesus. He's like, find out who it is, you know. And so uh, John, he leaned back against Jesus, and he kind of whispers to him. He's like, hey, God, Jesus, Lord, who is it? 
And Jesus replied, he's like, I'll tell you who it is. He's the one that I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. And after Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And so Jesus told him, just picture these words. Jesus says, what you're doing, do quickly. And none of those reclining at the table knew what he said, why he said this to them, right? It's super weird, but since Jesus kept the money bags, some thought that Jesus was telling them, hey, go buy what you need for the festival or that he should give something to the poor, something like that. But after receiving the piece of bread, Judas immediately left, and it was night. And so Judas goes out into the night. He meets up with the religious leaders who have been trying to trap Jesus and catch Jesus, all right, away from the crowd. And Judas basically says, hey, you, got, you want Jesus? I could give you Jesus. I could give you Jesus without the crowd being by. Actually, I could give you Jesus tonight. And they start coming up with a plan to get Jesus. Now, and while all that's going on, in the meantime, Jesus knows that's happening. In the meantime, John says, in verse 31, it says, when he had left. So when Judas had left. It's almost like Jesus waited till Judas bails. And now it's time for the important stuff. And so we need to pay attention it says, when Jesus has left, Jesus, he, Judas had left, Jesus tells his disciples, he calls them little children, little kids. I'm with you just a little while longer, and you will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, right, he's going to die, he says, you cannot come. He says, I give you a new command. Now, when he says this, probably all, all ears perk up and everybody's like, okay, so Jesus, he's giving us a new command. You know, what could that be? And the disciples are probably thinking, whoa, Jesus, you've already given us new commands. All right, you've already, like, changed the game. In fact, just two days before in Jerusalem, before the huge crowd, there's some religious leaders that are trying to trap Jesus. They were asking him all these hard questions to try to get Jesus to slip up. And uh, first they ask Jesus a question about paying taxes. Jesus takes that question, kind of flips it, and he sends it back to them. And they're like, oh, man, he got us again. And then they ask him a question about marriage, and they come up with this big old story. And so Jesus, he takes that question, he kind of flips it, and he gives them the answer, and he kind of shoots it back at them. And they're like, oh, he got us again. You know, you can't catch Jesus. And then Jesus, then one religious leader, he stands up and he asks him this question in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Remember, Matthew is there for this. Uh, he, says, he's, he says, teacher, as well as John, he says, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? All right, so this guy's got something up his sleeve. We don't quite know what's going on. And so Jesus he replies to him, kind of the, the normal Sunday school answer that every Jew in the crowd would have totally known. They're like, oh, that's easy. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. He says, this is the greatest and most important command. And the guy probably has some answer to like whip back at Jesus at this point. But Jesus, he doesn't stop, all right? He goes on. He said, by the way, while you're thinking along those lines, there's a second commandment that I want you to understand. Actually, it's very much like it. He says, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the law and the prophets, meaning, meaning the whole Old Testament, depend on these two commandments. And so, and so Jesus is basically saying, hey, this is what the whole Bible is about, All right? Like, if you have trouble getting through Leviticus, why don't you just, like, go back to, oh, no, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. If you have a trouble going through Isaiah, you just need to go back and remember, hey, no, no, no. It, it all boils down to you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that's it. Jesus, what he does there is he takes 613 commandments and he reduces it. He simplifies it down to two which was a completely new 
concept to the Jewish people. And so when Jesus says on this night, fast forward back to Thursday night, when he says, I give you a new command, the disciples, I'm sure they're thinking like, again? Are you kidding me? You just did this like two days ago. I mean, you just like erased all those like, all those commands, the whole law. All right, what's going on here? Like, what could it be this time? Like, are you going to add another one? Is there three special ones? Or, or what's the deal here? But he's not adding. He's actually reducing two down to one. He says, I give you this new command. Love one another. That's it. And the disciples are like, wait. <laughs> that ain't new. But he's not done. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You know what Jesus did right there? He took our little wimpy, you know, standard of love or the world's standard of love even lower. And he just, he just upped it, man. He's saying, you know how to love? I want you to love one another. And they're like, okay, yeah, no problem. I love you, you know, like a dude loves, you know, whatever, like a friend and, and that type of thing. And, and, he's, and Jesus is like, no, 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 you got to understand. I want you to love each other like I have loved you. Standard went way up right there. He says, you are also to love one another. And what he could have done is he could have gone around the room and been like, let me give you some examples. He said, Matthew, Matthew, remember when we first met? Matthew's like, yeah, I remember that. And he's like, remember the life that you were living? Yeah. I want you to say it out loud, Matthew, say it out loud. What, what were you doing? Uh, I was a tax collector. <laughs> you know, I was a traitor to my country. I get it, you know, I, I, was, I was wrong, I was messed up. Just be like, remember what I said to you? You invited me to follow you. Yeah. Remember where we went after we met? You decided to come to my house. And Jesus would say, Matthew, remember how I showed love to you that day? Matthew would be like, yeah, I remember. I want you to show love like that to people every day for the rest of your life. You got that? Oh. That's what you mean. I mean, you could have gone to Nathaniel, right? Nathaniel, one of the disciples, and be like, hey, remember what you said about me when we first met? Remember what you said about me? Remember what you said about my town? Remember what you said about my little league team? You know, like all, everything that came out of Nazareth, you know, Nazareth, Nazareth, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? Remember when you said that? Nathaniel would be like, yeah, you know, I remember that. Remember how I responded? You invited me to be a part of the team. Jesus would have said, I want you to show love like that to people every day for the rest of your life. I mean, he could have gone to Peter, right? And said, Peter, remember that day <laughs> that I was telling you guys how I was going to die and you like pulled me aside and, like, and you like uh, chewed me out <laughs> for, for saying that and saying I should never talk like that ever again. Remember what I had to say to you? I had to say, get behind me, Satan. Remember when I did that? Because what you were doing was so messed up and so wrong, I had to tell you to back off. And Peter would have been like, oh, I knew you were going to bring that up. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember that. And Jesus would have said, did I abandon you? Like, did I say, hey, sorry, Peter, there's no room for Satan in this club. Okay, so you can go and do whatever you want to do. Did I, did, I, did I do that? All right, you got to go. Did I say that? Nah. Jesus would have said, no, I served you. 
Now I want you to show love like that to people every day for the rest of your life. I mean, Jesus could have gone on and on and on with example after example after example. Actually, remember that he says this just right after, just minutes after, he was on his knees washing the disciples' feet. That's how Jesus showed love. He served them. That's the example where to follow. See, so many times. I mean, if you're like me, all right, so many times we say we love someone, but we don't, like, show it, at least not the way Jesus calls us to show it. We don't serve them, all right? Or sometimes we do things for other people and we serve other people, um, but it has a limit. And our thinking-wise, because we're trained by the world and the world's messed up, our thinking is, hey, if they're not, you know, reciprocating, then, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. Like, if I'm not getting anything back, and they're not doing anything for me, then, then you know, I, I, I can't keep this up. Or we think, after all, like, if I'm serving them, and they're not serving us back, then actually what they're doing is they're taking advantage of me. And the world tells us that's unhealthy. But Jesus tells us, no, 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 that's real love. See, we have this limit on how much we're willing to do for, like, our friends, our family, our kids, our spouse, you know, and those are the people that we generally like. <laughs> How much more do we, ref- we refuse to love and serve those that we don't like? Those people that we find annoying? You know, that person at work that you try whatever you can, at all costs to avoid? You know that person? You know what I'm talking about, all right? I mean, do this real quick. Think about someone in your life, like right now, that you could serve at some point this week. All right, maybe somebody who you haven't done anything for before. Can you do that? Like seriously, think about it right now, like for a second. Some of you guys are like, whoa, you serious? <laughs> you know, yeah, let's try to do what Jesus tells us to do, you know, um, not, just, not just learn about it. Can you come up with somebody? Okay, a few of you guys, that's good. FYI, let me just say, this is why you're thinking about that. This is supposed to be a lifestyle, like this is supposed to be an everyday thing, but some of us, we are so far from this thinking that some of us, we just need to start in like a little way. Now, if you have that person, which hopefully you've thought of at least somebody that you could somehow serve, you don't even have to come up with the way that you serve them. You just come up with somebody that you're like, I want to do something extra kind for that person this week. And if you're like me, what you're trying to do is you're trying to think of someone who deserves to be helped, who deserves to be served. But serving people who deserve it is actually super easy, or at least it should be. That's not what Jesus says. Right? It's everybody. I mean, Jesus washed the feet of a bunch of guys who did not deserve to be served. Right? A bunch of guys who were going to abandon him in just a couple of hours. Jesus washed the feet of a bunch of guys who were going to doubt him uh, just a few days away. Jesus washed the feet of a guy who was going to deny that he even knew Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times later that night. Jesus washed the feet of a guy who, who was going to betray him for cash immediately following him washing his feet. None of these guys deserved it. None of these guys deserved to be served by Jesus. The only one person in that room that night who deserved to be served was the same guy whose feet doesn't get washed, the creator of the universe. See, here Jesus is saying, you need to love one another, and then he demonstrated it. How do we love? What does love look like? He's saying it's super easy. Think of it this way. You serve them. That's what love looks like. That's the action of love, which means, we go back to his, you know, top two commandments, your love for God will be demonstrated by how well you love one another, okay? And your love for one another will be demonstrated by how well you serve one another. 
even the people that are hard to love. Jesus is saying, look at my example. And what he could have said, but he doesn't, is he could have said, and you ain't seen nothing yet. You know what I'm talking about? He could have said, and you haven't seen anything. Like, you don't understand what I'm about to do. Like, you haven't seen how deep my love is for you. But tomorrow afternoon, when I die for you in the worst way possible, all right, then maybe you'll understand a little bit more. And just a couple days later, when I rise again, maybe then you'll understand a little bit more. See, serving is so foreign for us in our culture and in our society that Jesus actually says in the last verse, he says, by this, meaning by serving and loving, he says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, what he's saying is serving is so foreign in our culture and our society and the world around us that people are going to notice. Like, people notice that difference. See, the world tells us that we need to love ourselves before we can love others, right? Like, we've all heard that before. Oh, you need to love yourself before you can, before you can love anybody else around you. And then when you're ready to love someone around you, the world tells us that you need to love others. You can't disagree with their beliefs, and you can't try to help them in that way or change them in any way. Like, like you can't do anything like that. you got to let them live their own life. you got to let them do what they want to do. And so as Christians, I think for a lot of us, sometimes we make loving others complicated all right, because we're kind of mixing it with what the world has to say. But Jesus, he's simplifying it here. He's basically saying, hey, the Bible's not full of a bunch of complicated rules. The Bible's full of one rule. It's only one. Everything else is just application of that rule. All you got to do is love. There's no wiggle room. It's just love. And you do that by serving. Not by necessarily agreeing with everything everybody's doing, not by affirming them and something that the Bible says is wrong, nothing like that. And so here you got the disciples, they're sitting in this upper room, they can't understand, they're like, okay, wow, this is kind of weird, this is kind of crazy, Jesus, you're doing stuff that like our culture doesn't even allow, like what's going on here? And they're used to this Old Testament law, which is 613 commandments of how they need to live their life. And what Jesus does is he makes it less complicated, simplifies it all down to one thing, but he makes it far more demanding. He raises the bar so high when he does this. Which means when we get this right, yeah, people may not buy into the whole Jesus thing, but they genuinely want to be around Christians because they get served that way. Or people may not believe in, in what you believe necessarily or may not agree with everything that you, that you believe, but, but they want you to work for them. Or people, they may not understand the whole Jesus thing that you're all into, but they want to go work for you. Or they may not understand all the things that you believe, but they want you on their team. And they want to know how and why you are so different. And as a church, like people should be attracted to Jesus because of the way we live our life, because of our love for them, whether we like them or not, it doesn't matter. We should be demonstrating our love for everybody through serving them every minute, every day. Meaning we go home, we serve. We go to the gym, we serve. We go to practice, we serve. We go to class, we serve. We go to work, all right, we serve by doing the things that nobody else wants to do. All right, we go to church, we serve. By the way, let me just say this, church, that should be the easiest place to serve, right? Why? Because we're surrounding by a bunch of other Christians who are, in fact, serving. See, some of you guys, let me just point out one thing just real quick right before we wrap up. 
One, some of you guys, you've been coming to Grace for a long time, and, and this is your home church. You consider Grace your home church, and we are so glad that you're here. You are a part of our family. You are one of us through and through, but you don't serve regularly. And what you're doing is, what the Bible tells us, is that you're actually depriving your church of your talents and abilities that God has gifted you to serve the church. When I say church, I don't, seem, I don't mean me or the building. I'm talking about the people. Right? It's ironic that we're talking about this here this week because next week we're going to three services. And when you add another service, it just adds a bunch more work. It adds a bunch more time. It adds, we need more volunteers. we gotta, we got to duplicate everything another hour. And, um, and, and we need help. And so if that's you and you're out there and you're like, man, I just haven't really, you know, I haven't jumped in for a while. Um, or maybe you jumped out for a while because of COVID or, or for whatever other reason. You know, it's time for you to jump back in. We need your help as we make room for people who are not part of our church yet. If you don't know where you want to go, if you don't know, I don't know, like, what area I would be best in, then we got a serve class coming up that you could go out and you could sign up for Today at the information center, or you could, you know, get on the church center app, or you could go online, you could sign up that way. We have our serve class coming up just next month, and we will help direct you, help find you, help put you in a place that you will enjoy. We want you to enjoy serving. We want to, you to enjoy being a part of a team here at Grace. You should sign up for that. Some of you guys, you haven't gotten involved with our church yet. Well, you know, you should be going to Fight Club tonight, all right? You got to sacrifice an hour and a half of your sleep. Okay, whatever. It's on time change Sunday, which is a little bit more, you know, but uh, you got to sacrifice a little bit of sleep. That's, make the sacrifice. Take a nap tomorrow, you know. You should be coming tonight at Fight Club at Fremont, 10 p.m. Um, even if you're not sure you want to do the whole 10 weeks, just come for the event. Uh, it, you don't even have to do anything, you, but, uh, but I will say it will be entertaining, okay? I can promise you that. And you will laugh, and it will be funny, and it's going to be kind of weird, okay? So it's what we do here at Grace when it comes to Fight Club. It's just, you know, the thing we're doing tonight is just different. <laughs> anyway, um, come. You'll be okay. Here's what God's saying. We are to serve. Actually, God says, Jesus is saying, we need to love one another. The way we do that is by serving. And when we serve, he promises us, the world will notice. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words and um, something that I think every single one of us needs to hear. God, we ask that you would help us love the people in our community and the people around us every day. And the way we love is not just tell people we love them or you know, you know, write them a note, I don't know, whatever. Or, or the way we need to love is what you're saying is we love by serving them. That's how we love. Doing the jobs that no one else wants to do, doing the things that no one wants to do, doing it for others. God, we ask that, um, that you would help us do that. Like, give us the boldness and give us the courage to, like, step out and do that, God. And the more we do it, we know the easier it will get. And, God, we thank you um, for reminding us that today. As Christians, we desperately need to be reminded. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.